0: Hello and welcome to episode 69 of Teaching Notes, the podcast of the Music Teachers Association with me, Patrick Johns. It's the last one of the calendar year as Christmas is well and truly upon us. For many of us, carol services and Christmas concerts are now over for another year and we're on the verge of putting our planners away for a fortnight and settling down for some mince pies and slightly rubbish TV. Plus, of course, that well-earned glass of mulled Punch. It's been a long and, for many, exhausting term. So I've decided to make this episode slightly shorter than normal so that you can get your fill of music education bits and bobs but can also be ready to switch off when the time comes. Today I'll be chatting to one of the country's foremost carol composers and indeed composer generally, Bob Chilcott. We'll be talking about text setting, melodic structure and tips for writing a melody, something that many of our students struggle with. But before that there's an amazing new resource on the market for early years in Key Stage 1. It's produced by Aurora Orchestra and their learning director is Rebecca Barnett. Rebecca welcome to Teaching Notes.
1: Thank you, thank you for having me today.
0: Now, please, could you tell me who you are and your role within music education?
1: Absolutely. So my name is Rebecca Barnett, and I have been a secondary school music teacher for the past 13, 14 years. And for the last decade of that, I was head of music at a grammar school in Southend-on-Sea. Most recently, I've switched to being the learning director for Aurora Orchestra. And so I work part time still in school, still teaching, and then part time Uh, trying to develop all these amazing resources for children to use in the classroom.
0: Okay, before we get on to talking about your resources, could you just quickly tell me about Aurora Orchestra and what makes them special?
1: So Aurora Orchestra are a chamber orchestra at their core, while some things we do are slightly smaller or slightly larger. They are a chamber orchestra who play in all styles of music, really, but they are most famous for playing from memory. So you'll be able to see on their Aurora Play part of their website, that uh, we've got some of our proms up there, the Berlioz prom in particular is really magical. And we've got some really exciting projects coming up this year, including Beethoven at Printworks in London, which will also be a memorised performance. And that's fully immersive. So it's about deconstructing the orchestra, breaking down audiences and how they approach classical music and what we believe classical music to be, essentially.
0: Okay, now, as well as being an orchestra, there's a whole educational side to Aurora Orchestra, isn't there? And the thing I'd like to talk to you about today is the Magical Toy Box. What is that?
1: So the Magical Toy Box is based on one of our far, far away shows on the music of Tchaikovsky, and it's bringing it into the classroom. So it's taking the show and taking lots of the little pieces and teaching children lots of musical skills based on those pieces. And the idea isn't that we only teach children about music. We're teaching them all the other things about themselves. I think that music is so important because it teaches us about being humans. It's not just about being able to sing a pitch um, or clap a rhythm back. So it teaches them about working with their friends and working with peers and dancing and uh, all of those other magical things that you should be doing in early years in key stage one. The way that we can now get this into classrooms, thanks to the pandemic, it gave us the time to, to develop this into a platform where schools can subscribe and they get a 10 week scheme of work, essentially. And so everything has been written by the creative team at Aurora in conjunction with us as teachers. So in the learning team, we've got myself, who, as I said, I'm secondary by trade. But I've got two primary colleagues who also work with us, and they have the real focus of working with early years and Key Stage One every day of their lives. So they know what's required inside out. So for all teachers, they would subscribe to the resource, and you start at week one, and you've got your full scheme of work, your objectives, your assessment frameworks, your ways that you meet the osta criteria, all the things that as teachers we know are quite valuable to know, and then you can start the lesson. So it's separated into separate discrete year groups for nursery, reception, year one and year two, and also SEND, but we'll look at that separately. And say you start in the early years, then in early years, you can split your sessions either to one continuous 30 minutes, possibly too long for little people. And so then you can split them into three 10 minute chunks. So you might do those throughout the week or throughout the day. And so you'd start your first activity and it might be learning the the magic spell And you've got the choice then to either, if you're a confident classroom specialist, to lead it for yourself. There'll be an activity plan and you can then go ahead, use our audio recordings to support that. Or you can use our workshop leader, Jessie, who um, you press play on the video and she will lead it for your class. So this is one of our ideas that essentially will help support teachers becoming more confident, delivering music in the classroom. Because we know that confidence is low. We know that there's not enough time devoted to a uh, teacher training level. And so if we can help people feel more confident on the job, perhaps one year they play Jesse's video and the next year they feel that they can lead it themselves. We also know that sometimes you've got a really tricky class and no support in class. So being able to press play on a video of Jesse means that you're freed up to go and stand with whichever child maybe needs a little bit more support today to access that resource. So that's how the activities are structured. And then you just work through the weeks And then at the end, you've got kind of discernible progress and different musical skills and also the kind of the learning strands that come with early years and key stage one as well. So it's not just musical.
0: And of course, this is all kind of connected to national curriculum. Is the model music curriculum involved as well?
1: Absolutely. So the national curriculum for all two pages of it, um, it meets all requirements of that, but it also meets all requirements of the model music curriculum. And that's something that we we're really keen to do, whilst we know lots of teachers find that the model music curriculum is very ambitious, particularly at certain (laughs) stages, that we know that through these resources that we are showing the evidence of children using all these ambitious terms.
0: That's great. And that's an incredible support for primary teachers who, as you say, are not specialists, but everything is there. I've been looking at the website. Everything is there. The lesson plans, the resources, the background music, the notes. It's all there. Really, really wonderful. What resources would a school need to have in terms of instruments or things like that?
1: So we've been really conscious to make sure that we've not presumed any, I suppose, affluence because music comes with a fee. And that's why so many schools can't access great quality music because of the cost of it. So every activity has been written so that you don't have to use instruments for them. If there is an instrument suggested, it will be things like shaky eggs or claves, which might be quite accessible for lots of schools. They could also then, say, use boomwhackers or chime bars if they have them available. But no activity is exclusive to having to have any instruments uh, to use that. The platform is online, so it does require the old internet subscription um, to be reliable. But I think most of us post-pandemic are there.
0: You mentioned students with special educational needs. What have you provided for them?
1: So our SEND programme uses a lot of the same resources, but we've worked very closely with one of our SEND consultants who works at a school in London called Treehouse School. And he has essentially worked with us and shown us how we can separate all of the activities into different learning strands. So it might be experiential or sensory or movement based. And so you'll go onto our platform and you'll select the strands that are most relevant to your class and create your own custom scheme of work. This might mean that if you teach two or three different classes in a special setting, that You might want to have one strand for one set of classes and another for another. And it gives you the total freedom to do that. So if you have a group of children who wouldn't access communication activities very successfully, you don't have to select it. And so then through some magic of coding behind the scenes, all of these activities get brought together and then you still have a logical progression across 10 weeks. It's not random activities spliced together. It's children will still make progress, but accessible to them
0: great now tell me if teachers want to find out more about this if teachers want to even have a, a a trial period and look at it before they decide and then if they do decide how much does it cost where can we find out all this information
1: our learning website is learning.auroraorchestra.com you can navigate there via our main aurora orchestra website There's currently a trial set up, which is an automatic seven-day free trial, but we're going to be extending that over the Christmas period because, number one, no one has time over the last week of time, And then we all have a little bit more time at Christmas uh, going back into January. So people can explore that. And then from that point, there'll be an invite to fully subscribe to the resource. And for MTA members, that will be discounted at 20% off the, the subscription price for that. So the code would be MTA20. And then the only other thing I'd really point you towards is that over Christmas, there is on YouTube, Tchaikovsky in the Magical Toy Box, which is where this came from, is currently on YouTube, which can be watched for free until January.
0: And sorry to have to bring up the ignoble topic of money, but how much does this thing cost?
1: So it's a subscription model where you would subscribe for the full academic year or you can start at any time in the year. And it's a 12 month rolling contract. And the price starts at £180 for small schools and send schools. And then it just scales up for slightly larger schools. But each year we're adding new resources. So this summer we'll be launching Meet the Instruments, which is a songbook uh, unit of work with lots of singing and meeting the orchestra.
0: Wonderful, Rebecca. Thank you so much. And happy Christmas.
1: Merry Christmas. Happy New Year.
0: Thank you to Rebecca Barnett, Learning Director of Aurora Orchestra. Now, just before we bring on Bob Chilcott to chat about Christmas carols, a quick look ahead to January and a couple of events the MTA is putting on. On Tuesday, the 10th of January at five o'clock, HMI and National Lead for Music at Ofsted, Christopher Stevens, will be taking part in a webinar, looking at the key messages from Ofsted's research review into the most effective approaches to assessment in music. On a Monday the 16th of January, again at five o'clock, James Manwaring and Liz Dunbar return for the first Music Teacher Monday of the new year. Along with Nikki Bowkley, they'll be looking ahead to the MTA conference in May, as well as providing you with lots of support and advice for the new term. You'll be able to sign up for these on the online events page of the MTA website. And now... The last interview of 2022, and in fact, the 50th interview of 2022. is with Bob Chilcott, one of the country's, if not the world's, leading composers of choral music, and especially carols. I was keen to find out about Bob's approach to carol writing, text setting, melody, and of course, his favourite carol. So with apologies for the slightly dodgy sound quality, here is Bob Chilcott. Bob, welcome back to the podcast and a happy Christmas to you.
2: Well, happy Christmas to you, Patrick. Nice to hear you, and I hope all's well.
0: Now, before we move on to chat about Christmas music, I have to ask you, what are your memories of Christmas music as a child?
2: Well, it's when I was five years old, I started singing in the parish church choir. And then I joined King's College Choir when I was aged eight. So it was very traditional, singing the Festival of Nine and carols, all that sort of stuff. That was really my first memory of Christmas carols.
0: And from a compositional point of view, what do you think makes a piece of Christmas music different from a piece of, in commas, normal music?
2: Well, I, I think a Christmas carol fundamentally for me implies a melody. It's about melody and recognisable kind of quality of something that's kind of schooled in the idea of tradition. I think there's a kind of Not generic sound for Christmas carols, but there is a sense that you're entering a world that, to a certain extent, a lot of people are very familiar with. So you have to respect that world. I think it's a very big canvas, but actually you have to work within the limits of what everyone recognises as something either to listen to or to sing that feels melodic, feels warm, feels comfortable.
0: Yeah, because there have been some carols that have been done at King's, which have been less melodic, shall we say, and more kind of artistic, if I can put it that way. Yeah. And They have generally yes. met with a, a lukewarm reception when compared to carols written much more within the tradition, as you're describing.
2: Yes, I agree with that. And in fact, I don't know how I feel about that, you know, because there's a carol that Harrison Birtwistle wrote called "The Gleam," which I've conducted. It's fiendishly difficult, and it has stamping in it, and all sorts of things. And the harmony is very terse and extremely dissonant. But it's a brilliant piece. In a sense, that could be a composition with a, a sense of the time of year. But I think, in terms of a carol, I don't. I'm not sure that it's a carol. But wow, what a great piece! When you're commissioned to compose
0: a new carol and you've got your text, how do you approach setting it? Is there something that you do before you actually start to write the notes? What do you do with that text initially?
2: I think I look for the inner rhythm of the words. In fact, I've just written a new carol sequence with the poet Georgia Way. They're poems about Mary as a human being, so from a very human point of view. And I think because she is also a singer, she's got a great sense of the inner rhythm of words. And I think we look for that. We look for the rhythm and the colour. And I think some words suggest melodies or suggest senses of how the piece is going to sound right away, actually. Some it's harder, but I think when we look at the traditional texts, too, of carols, they have a sense of a very clear shape. Of course, many of them have refrains. And that can be very helpful because it can bring us back to a sort of collective expression that recurs. So I think one looks for, in a sense, recurring shapes, and that's very helpful, I find.
0: And do you find that melody comes before harmony, or harmony before melody, or can it
2: vary? It can vary. For me, it's both. Sometimes the harmonic shape is the basis on which you construct a melody. I've certainly done that on many occasions or it's finding a melodic shape. It depends very much on what kind of pace the piece is. I've just written a piece for Westminster Abbey, actually, for this Christmas. And James O'Donnell was very keen that I didn't write something slow, because he felt that there are lots of slow carols, and that it needed an energy, and I found that very exciting. And for that, I really did think of the harmony first. So I had a very clear idea of what the harmonic shape should be. And then I built it on that because I needed a melody that was very mobile and was, you know, moving quite quickly. So the harmony was kind of rooting the rest of the piece. So I thought about that first.
0: Just thinking about melody, is there something that a really good, strong melody
2: needs to have? Um, I like modes. So I think modes can be very helpful. So Lydian mode, I'm very fond of. But also Dorian mode, particularly if you're writing slower pieces, I think they suggest certain intervals and certain cadences. And this can be quite helpful in terms of when one's looking for a kind of traditional tie up with melodic shape. Recurring intervals can be quite helpful, I think, in a constructing a Christmas piece, because it can give it a strong sense of character. So you, there was a carol by Richard Ronnie Bennett that I heard recently, and I, I'm going to conduct it actually out of Your Sleep, Arise and Wake, where he uses fourths. And I thought there was a very different sense of fourths. So you you would have two consecutive fourths would create a seventh, which would create a particular type of, actually in his case, modal harmony. Um, and I think when you look back at that kind of era, there was one of the um, carol composers that people don't sing so much now, um, William Matthias. I, I looked at some of his carols because he's written a lot of faster carols and they're really good, you know, and they, they've got a very, very strong sense of interval. And the interval not only informs the melody, but it you informs know, the kind of harmonic sound of the piece too. And uh, that was something I enjoyed revisiting those carols from probably now about 50 years ago, which was a very, very good time. There was a lot of very good writing of Christmas carols at that time.
0: He did Sir Christmas, didn't he?
2: He did. It's a really good piece. There aren't so many energetic carols like that now. I think we've become a little bit slow.
0: Absolutely, there are lots, lots of slow ones. But you're right; the the upbeat ones are less common. And that melody, the Noel Noel, is based on the falling third. So you've got that idea of character, like you were saying. That's Um, right. I mean, I've been trying to help some of my students compose, and I've been trying to get into them the idea of using short ideas and repeating them in different contexts, maybe as a sequence, or you know, to build the, the structure of a longer passage of music out of shorter passages of music. And it's something that students don't instinctively seem to do. I've lost count of the number of times I've seen, you know, 10 bars of music with 10 different ideas.
2: Yes, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's that's really useful to build short phrases... I think for singers, short phrases are quite useful because it helps create the singing shape of the piece and familiarity of the line. I think you're right. And I think sequences are very good. And I think actually refrains are really good. I like refrains because they're very sociable. You know, they're the often the things that we remember. I, I was thinking when you talked about that, William Matthias' carol, you know, Noel, 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 well. That's what everyone remembers. And it's the simplest idea, but brilliantly done. I've
0: discovered recently on an old cassette that I've been transferring my GCC composition from the early 1990s. And Thank I'd you. forgotten I'd actually written A Christmas Carol. It was a, a setting of a text that we've been given and, you know, if I if I do say so myself, it's relatively effective for a, a mid-teen. But I had done that exact thing, whether consciously or not. I had used a short idea and repeated it in a simple structure. And it's amazing how fast an actual finished carol churns out and how few new original ideas you actually need to create the bigger piece. It's basically coming up with a short idea and then arranging your own music.
2: I agree. I think that's really important because actually when you use less material, you tend to use it better and it actually makes you more creative in a funny sort of way.
0: What's the most interesting piece of new Christmas music that you've heard recently? Who are the carol composers of the future? Because it's a pretty tough market to get into bearing in mind how attached we are to tradition at this time of year.
2: Yes, that's a good question because I'm actually co-editing carols for Choir Six, which is coming out next year. And we've had lots of submissions. Now, the the composer who I, it's a piece I've done, actually performed it a few times, is by the American composer Caroline Shaw. It's actually a setting of some Robert Louis Stevenson, which I love. It's a very clever piece. It's a slightly more extended work. So it's a Christmas composition rather than the carol, but it's a brilliant piece, actually. It has a very strong sense of something that's new, but at the same time, it's rooted in something that I think we all recognise. I think uh, another composer who really is making waves, I mean, a very clever composer is Owen Park. Again, he's very well acquainted with the tradition, so he's very good. There's another person too, who an American woman again, Renee Esmail. She comes from an American and Indian-Asian tradition. And I like very much what she does because she brings a slightly different... Tamara to the piece that she's done. I think they're, they're really good. And a slightly predictable question,
0: and I'm sure one you've been asked hundreds of times in the past. But what is your Christmas Desert
2: Island carol and why? You know, that's really hard. It would change all the time. I think one of my favorite carols of all time actually is Jesus Christ the Apple Tree by Elizabeth Poston. It's so simple and the great thing about it is you can sing it in all sorts of different ways. But the thing is, you can hear the melody unharmonized. And the thing is, it affects you just in the same way that it does when it's harmonized. I love it. It's very, very simple, but brilliant.
0: I find myself around November time when I start to listen to carols, rediscovering ones and thinking that no, this is the one. No, 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 no. This is the one. And I yeah, think- yeah. I forget. I agree. Was. So it's, you know, Shepherd's Farewell. Then you think, oh, no, 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 Hymn to the Virgin. And they think, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. How can it be anything except Balulalo or, or Bethlehem Down or something? And then yeah, you yeah. look at this list of pieces of music and, oh, yeah, you just feel so grateful that these things exist.
2: I know. You're absolutely right. And I'd give you a different answer tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Great. Bob, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about Christmas carols with me. Thank you for the wonderful music that you have written and continue to write for musicians everywhere. And a very happy Christmas to you.
2: Yes, thank you so much, Patrick, and uh, a very happy Christmas to you and also to music teachers everywhere at this incredibly exciting and busy time of year for all people involved in music. So happy Christmas to you all. Thank you to Bob Chilcott and to Rebecca Barnett.
0: And that's it. I'm done for another year. Thank you for listening to and supporting this podcast and for sharing it with your colleagues and others. Please do share it widely on your social media and please drop me a line if you'd like to take part in a future episode. The email address, as ever, is podcast at musicteachers.org or send me a message on Facebook or via Twitter. I am at Mr. Patrick Johns. If you've been umming and ahhing about whether or not to join the MTA, then two quick pieces of advice from me. Number one, do. And number two, go to musicteachers.org at once to do so and become part of the largest association of music teachers in the UK. So until 2023, from me, Patrick Johns, have a very Merry Christmas.